Welcome to Gut Feelings, a Rome Foundation podcast series. I'm your host, Johanna Ruddy. On this weekly episode series, you'll find content related to the diagnosis and treatment of disorders of gut-brain interaction, DGBIs, as well as special guests as we discuss topics such as gut-directed hypnotherapy, medications to treat DGBIs, communication skills, improving your clinical visit, and helpful patient advocacy tips. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another question and answer session with Dr. Drossman and myself. Today, we are talking about a very timely and popular topic, and it is using neuromodulators to treat chronic GI pain. And it's something that um, we've talked about before, but we're going to kind of um, talk to both the patient audience and the provider audience combined today. And Dr. Drossman is here to give us this good information. So hello, Dr. Drossman, how are you? Hey, Johanna. Yeah, as Johanna said, this is information for patients and doctors. And we're talking about the process of communicating around its use. Our previous sessions were talking about which ones to use and how you use it and the dosing. But there's a big gap right now between doctors and patients around how to communicate these medications. And, you know, we've talked about it at other times about mind-body dualism and patients being concerned about it. They don't want a psychiatric drug. And we're not really talking about a psychiatric drug. We're talking about the physiologic, the pharmacologic benefit of these medications for treating chronic pain and other symptoms of DGBI. So what I'd like to do is to focus on that, and I'm going to share the screen, tell you a little bit about the neuromodulase. Remember, that's antidepressants, anti-anxiety, antipsychotic agents, which we use in GI uh, for treatment of these conditions. So let's see. So these are the kind of medications we're talking about. You may be familiar with some of them, uh, most likely the tricyclic antidepressants, the SNRIs, and this is not our topic. I'm just showing you all the different types, antipsychotics, azapurones for anxiety, even anticonvulsants. And then there are peripheral ones, which you are familiar with, working on the enteric nervous system. So. As a patient, you don't need to know about all of these, but you need to understand why you're getting it. And as a doctor, you need to be able to communicate its value. And doctors are not necessarily familiar with these drugs or how to use them. That's an effort we're trying to make. In fact, um, we're having a workshop um, for gastroenterologists and other healthcare providers uh, myself with Lin Chang and Greg Sayek is it October 7th? It's uh, November 11th. November 11th, okay. Uh, and that'll be, uh, you can sign up, you'll be hearing about it, or you can email Johanna uh, J. Ruddy at the Foundation.org. We know that doctors are not totally familiar with it because this is a study we did with Lin Chang 
and we surveyed uh, over 500 doctors, gastroenterologists, and asked them about their comfort level from zero to four using these various medications. And the most comfortable score was with tricyclics, not a surprise, because that's what traditionally has been learned. And then SSRIs come in second, which really isn't that helpful for pain. Then comes SNRI, and these are significantly less, and that's about the same as the anxiety medications like uh, Ativan and Valium and things like that. And the antipsychotics are way down. Only very few people are comfortable with it. We also asked them, what makes it a, a, a barrier? What are the factors that limit them prescribing? The first is concern about side effects. The second is not learning what to prescribe, not comfortable prescribing it. A little bit of concern about the patient refusing, which is what we're dealing with today. Uh, not even certain that it makes a difference and not comfortable with the dosage adjustment. So that's why we're running these programs for gastroenterologists. Now, you can read about this uh, in Gastroenterology, December 2018. There was a row working team on this topic. So for patients, we want you to understand why you're taking it. For doctors, we want you to understand how to communicate with that with patients. And what I'd like to do now is show you a video. Uh, we have a really great patient uh, who will be, uh, I'll be interviewing here, talking about the value of neuromodulators when she's not so clear about wanting to use it. So let's take a look. Well, Ms. Scott, we've just finished the workup. Yeah. Um, I do want to do a few tests. Uh, okay. I think we're going to do a colonoscopy. Okay. Um, but it, it does sound like you have irritable bowel syndrome. It's a little bit more severe in terms of how it's affecting your life. Yeah. And we are going to give you some medication for the IBS. Okay. But the pain is so severe, what I'd like to do is put you on a neuromodulator. What is that? Well, neuromodulator is a term we now use for antidepressants, which have been used to treat these disorders. But an antidepressant is for people with depression. So are you saying that you think I have depression? Well, you know... Because honestly, I don't think that I do. Well, I think what I really want to say is that these medications can be used for different reasons. You know, it was in the 50s and 60s when these medicines were targeted toward uh, depression and anxiety right. and psychiatric disorders. Right. But you know, just like you can use aspirin <clears throat> to treat pain, it can also prevent a heart attack. And as we understand more about the brain-gut axis, which is what IBS really is, it's a disorder of the regulation between the brain and the gut. And I want to explain that to you in a minute. This is why we would consider using this medication. Let me show you a diagram and tell you what we're talking about. Okay. Many years ago, it was actually in World War II where uh, an anesthesiologist found that the brain has the ability to control what goes on in the body. There were soldiers who were on the beachhead in uh, Europe and they were, having, they were wounded in battle and they had no requirement for pain, for pain medication. And 
the anesthesiologist found and considered that the brain, by being in battle, the brain was blocking the pain. Mm -hmm. And it was years later when the Nobel Prize was given for the gate control theory, which means that pain doesn't just begin in the bowel, but it sends signals to the brain, and then the brain has the ability to regulate it. So if you're running a race and you sprain your ankle, you may not feel it during the race, but you might feel it afterwards. Afterwards, yeah. You're walking down the street and someone gets hit by a car. You might get sick and throw up. The connection between the brain and the gut is what we call hardwired. And it's the regulation or the dysregulation that leads to these situations like abdominal pain and diarrhea. So it's dysregulation of the brain-gut axis. And this can be manifest in many different ways. But one of the treatments we can use is to control the pain regulation, increase the brain's ability to block the pain signal coming up. And that's why we use neuromodulators. So I also want to point out that neuromodulators work independent of whether you had anxiety or depression. Hmm. You said you don't feel you're depressed. No, I'm not. And I just I just want to make sure that it's understood that these are real symptoms. Like I'm having real pain and real diarrhea. And I just don't want people to think that it's not real or it's all in my head because it's not. That's right. It's real, but all the studies don't show anything. And right. the reason why they don't show anything is that the symptoms of pain and diarrhea and all those disturbances relate to the regulation of body function and bowel function. And that's why the studies are negative. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to re-regulate it and bring it back to normal. We yeah. even use doses lower than, using, than treating psychiatric disorder. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. It's not to say that as a result of your chronic pain, your symptoms, it's caused you emotional distress. Who wouldn't feel that way? Right. So I'm sure you would acknowledge that could be a fact factor too. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes I feel a little bit of anxiety just because it's just a constant presence in my life, you know. Yeah. And we know that anxiety can actually impair this regulation. So we could actually treat both if, mm -hmm. we, if we needed to. Mm -hmm. So if you're agreeable, what we'll do is we'll start you on a, a course of treatment and we'll okay. reevaluate in a few weeks. Okay. All right. Yeah, I, I, I think that that makes sense and I, I would really like to try it. All right. Well, let's get started. As a patient in the video, what, what were you experiencing? What were your observations? Yeah, so I think the first thing that stands out is, you, you know, her immediate hesitancy when you mention, when she says, well, you know, neuromodulator, what is that? And you say, oh, well, it's this class of, class of drugs. And she's like, wait a second, I am not depressed. And so there's this immediate, like, wall up. I'm not interested. I'm not depressed. And, and I think that that's a very common um, response from a lot of patients that I talk to about the possibility of looking at this type of treatment. They immediately, um, and I think we can all acknowledge there's still a, a very high amount of stigma attached to the use of these drugs and a stigma in terms of um, mental illness or any sort of um, 
psychological impairment. And so to a patient who's suffering with chronic illness, that's not showing up on any tests to be told that maybe this classification of drugs might be helpful. Immediately your thought goes to, they must think I'm crazy, or they must think I'm depressed, or they must think I have some sort of psychological impairment. Um, And I think that your explanation of how these drugs can be used for multiple purposes Um, showing the brain gut axis and what's happening physiologically speaking, that's driving these symptoms was what made the difference and what turned her around in her decision to go ahead and give it a try. But before we get to that point, let's go back to the way you felt when you first heard it. One of the features from a communication standpoint, when that happens is you shut down, the person shuts down in yeah. hearing anything else yeah. because they're right now feeling very defensive or, yeah. or anxious. And in, in doing so, the doctor also in turn is confronted with, what am I going to do now? Yeah. I don't want to fight with the patient. Right. I don't want to say you need to use it. It's okay. And so the doctor is in a dilemma too. So yeah. the bridge that has to be made is how do you get away from a confrontational situation? Mm-hmm. Many doctors who don't understand how they work actually believe that it's being used to treat the psychiatric problem. That's yeah. The so that's what I was going to say, because so many of us patients have been told by previous physicians that there's nothing wrong in any of the tests, so it must be psychological. And so I think, you know, that for for a lot of doctors who don't understand the purpose of using these medications, that can immediately be a barrier in their communication. So you mentioned that I went through an explanation. One reason of doing that, well, there are a couple of reasons. One is that I'm providing a little bit of science, physiologic explanation. What the other thing is uh, what I'm doing is redirecting the interaction from a confrontation to something we're both looking at to an educational format. And that would allow you a little bit more to be interested in hearing what I have to say. Yeah. Well, I think you showed a tremendous amount of respect for her. Um, initial defensiveness, you weren't like, take this and stop arguing with me. Um, You know, you were, you provided empathy and understanding. I understand. Would you mind if I explained this to you? Um, And and so all of that kind of consideration and um, the way that you approached it, I think was also made a big difference. But you also validated her concerns when she said to you, you know, I want to make sure it's understood that these are not in my head. These are real symptoms that I'm experiencing. And you validated that. You said, yes, they absolutely are. And it's because of this dysregulation that I just showed you. And I think that was really critical um, because so many patients do not receive that validation that the symptoms are real. And the validation of that symptoms are real doesn't mean that stress isn't playing a role. Right. If that played out a little bit later, when when we talked about the um, role that the medicine can have double effect, right? Anxiety or depression, and you were even at that point able to even say, "Well, it does make me stressed sometimes." Right. Yeah. It really. Yeah, I think it really helped her to kind of be 
reflective and to acknowledge that there was some underlying anxiety with having her chronic illness, particularly chronic diarrhea and chronic abdominal pain. I mean, there's anxiety about, am I going to have an accident? Where's the nearest bathroom? You know, all of those sorts of things. And, and as you said, that can drive the symptoms as well and exacerbate those symptoms. So I think that all um, was really helpful for her to understand. And from a process standpoint, you went from very dualistic, this is not in my head, right. to more contemplation. Well, maybe you can get me distressed and maybe this could have a role. That was later. Which yeah, yeah. To that point. Yeah. I mean, and I, I, you know, I'm playing a fictional patient, but speaking from a place of my own experience in, you know, when you recommended the use of a neuromodulator for my chronic abdominal pain, I was like, I mean, I had, even though intellectually I understood, you know, the physiological and pharmacological aspects of the drug, I, I too had those initial resistance of, Oh, and that stigma and I, but I'm not this, you know, and, and I think that that, you know, so playing that part was also coming from a place of experience and from a place of experience, I can tell you that the drugs that, you know, the drug that I took, um, was immensely helpful in treating that dysregulation and really, really solved that problem. I don't have chronic abdominal pain anymore. I do have some pain now and again, but it's never a chronic all day, every day thing that I was experiencing before. And I think that, you know, understanding that and being willing to try it made a big difference for me and did believe it or not help a little bit of my hypervigilance and anxiety related (laughs) to my illness. So even if I didn't, uh, you know, admit that it definitely did. It also, we also have to talk about the neuroplasticity of the brain. And these medications can actually rewire and put you, put people, that's why we use them for treatment and you may get benefit in several weeks, but we keep you on it for a year or more because we can then get you off it and you can get resolution or marked reduction of the pain without the need for the medication has occurred with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's important for patients who maybe have tried a tricyclic and had, you know, not, not had the results that they were expecting or really had some negative side effects that caused them to stop taking it and have just written it off altogether and just said, it doesn't work. I tried it. Like I really would encourage those patients to talk with their doctors about trying a different class of these drugs or different kind that have different side effects and can do maybe a better job in in what they're looking for. Because I really think that, you know, there's not one drug that's going to work for every single patient. As we well know, these conditions are very heterogeneous and it's different patient to patient. So really be patient with that and work with your doctor to find one that's going to work. Um, Because I hear from a lot of patients who say, I tried a, you know, a TCA and it was terrible and I'm never trying it again. And I just, I think that does a disservice to their potential recovery. So they could really think about that. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's recap. What I, I want to, I think the sequence, as we discussed, uh, and I'm, 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 I'm re- repeating what you said, but I think it's nice to see it in context together. When I said I wanted to prescribe a neuromodulator, 
you're unwilling, saying that you're not depressed. We call that dualistic thinking, mind-body dualism. We've talked a lot about that. So I tried to provide the rationale that originally antidepressants were used when they were targeted for depression, but they can have more than one action, and they regulate the brain-gut axis. And if you view the video, you could see you started to really listen more. You were more engaged. And then I showed you diagrams, which you've always talked about is how helpful diagrams are in education. Yes. And then you worried about, you know, is this in my head? You went back to the stigmatization. And what I did is I provided more rationales. And these are things that clinicians can say. Uh, there is clear evidence that in the absence of any psychologic distress, the medication still works on pain. Right. Validating that the symptoms are real, we're not talking about credibility, that the treatment is focused on regulating pain, but it can be used for, uh, um, for treating emotional distress as well. And that we use lower doses than traditional major depression type drugs. Um, doses. And then you acknowledged um, that, that you had some anxiety. And then um, my response was, well, then maybe it could treat both. And then you agreed to take it. And it was your decision. I wasn't making you do it at that point. If you want to hear more about this at the doctor and patient level, we do have a book that talks a lot about communication skills that includes videos as well. And if you're a clinician and you want to, or even a patient, and want to learn more about these videos, uh, the teaching that goes on with that, we have basic, intermediate, and advanced uh, videos uh, to help you learn communication skills. So there we are. Yes, sir. Another great lesson, and I think um, hopefully it will help a lot of patients be more willing to give it a shot and try these types of drugs and hopefully uh, help doctors better communicate the rationale for the use of this as well. So thank you once again, and thanks to your little friend behind the, your shoulder there, um, Dr. Dr. Poop. Um, <laughs> if you have any questions. Cereal right now. <laughs> yes, he's eating his, his fiber-rich cereal there. If you have any questions about this topic, please let us know. Send us a message through direct message or send me an email. As you know, always happy to help whenever you need it. Until next time, have a great rest of your week and weekend, and we'll see you real soon. Bye, everyone. Bye now. Foundation Drosman Care podcast series. Find more helpful tips, downloadable resources, videos, and more on our website at theromefoundation.org. Look under the resource tab for our patient q and videos.
blog, articles, and more. Have you purchased your copy of Gut Feelings, Disorders of Gut-Brain Interaction and the Patient-Provider Relationship book yet? Be sure to find that on the Rome Foundation website and place your order or find us on Amazon as well. We look forward to seeing you next week for another episode of Gut Feelings. This has been your host, Johanna Ruddy.